Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we bring you an in-depth conversation with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Lauren Rhodes, with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Andrew Bryant, a singer, songwriter, and producer from Calhoun County, Mississippi, who now lives in Oxford. You may know Andrew as one of the founding members of the band Water Liars. He now runs his own record label, Sentimental Noises Records, and spends his time making as much music as he can in his home studio. Andrew's newest album, Prodigal, was released to great acclaim earlier this month. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, Lauren. It's so nice to be here with you today. Well, first off, congratulations on the new record. I believe this is your 13th album. I was I was trying to count this morning. Something like that. I've lost count. I really don't, <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> um, well, I, I just have to say I have both of the, the digital and vinyl version of Prodigal, and I have I have a confession to make, which is that I don't even own a record player. But I had to get the vinyl version because it is literally a work of art. There's gorgeous cover art by Misby um, artist Blair Hobbs. So mm-hmm. um, kudos to you for making me finally invest in a record player. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, and even if you don't have one, a lot of times people like to to, to buy one just to, just to own it like that. And mm-hmm. what's really special about this one is the art uh, that is on the front of it. You know, it's almost like you get your own uh, personal print from a really great artist. And it relates so much to the lyrics um, in the songs too. So I was I was having fun finding you know the ways that the art connects to the work. Um, but how does it feel to have have this album out in the world? You know, it's I think it's been less than a week maybe since it it, it was released. Yeah, it feels like all of the things you know, excitement, uh, nervousness at at first. You know, you never know how people are going to feel about it when you first put something out there. I get a little anxious always around the few days right before an album's coming out. Um, um, but, you know, no second guessing. Uh, I'm proud of the work and I, I'm really glad that it's out there and people are really responding to it. So, um, Well, I'd love for you to take us through the creation of these songs and, and the album. When did you start writing the songs that would, you know, that would make up Prodigal? I think I first the first songs that I wrote for this album would have been around 2021. Uh, and I had a, just a couple of songs. Uh, one, the song love that's on the record, which is probably the most simple song on the record. Mm. It's just a little soft folk, you know, love song. And it came to me one day, just as I was uh, walking at the, in the park here uh, with my kids in, in Oxford, we had just gone on a random, you know, it was a nice day and we'd taken a walk and, I had my guitar and we I'd laid out a blanket there and they were you know running around playing and I just came up with that little with the, that little guitar part and and I just started singing the first couple of lines and then I just came home and finished it it probably only took me 5 or 10 minutes to write that song so you know there was a couple of songs like that on the record but really I think the album started to take shape when I wrote the opening track uh which is also the title track of the album mm-hmm. which is called Prodigal yeah 
And that um, was in, um, I, I guess that was in around 2022 when I wrote that song. Okay. Well, did you find that the pandemic affected your creative process at all? I mean, did you have, you know, there was a period where I'm sure you weren't able to perform or go on the road. Did that right. help your creativity or did it hinder it? I feel like it really helped my creativity when it comes to writing and just mm -hmm. producing more work, but it really has to this day hindered my uh, ability to be able to perform live. It really makes me anxious. I feel like pre pandemic, I was really, um, you know, in a almost 20 year stride there of, of performing live yeah. in front of people. And so it was really effortless. And, um, I also got sober in 2020, um, from alcohol. And mm -hmm. so, I found that coming out of that time period and being newly sober, it was just the first time I performed after that, I was just full of anxiety. It was just yeah. one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and so I still struggle with that a little bit, but I'm three years sober now and uh, every show gets a little better. So. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that anxiety is something that we can all relate to coming out of mm -hmm. the, the deep pandemic and um, but I imagine like as a, as a touring and working musician that has a, you know, a lot of deeper layers to that as well. Right. Um, well, these, these songs feel so personal and intimate. I feel, you know, maybe because you had that period of reflection and um, isolation too. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, they just, this whole album is so deeply, deeply Mississippi. Um, <laughs> do you feel like, this was a departure from your previous body of work at all? At the time, it didn't feel that way. I felt mm -hmm. like I was approaching making the album in the same ways that I had done all of my other albums. But now looking back on it, it does feel different. Uh, when I listen to it and listen to the even the crafting of the songs in comparison to my older albums, it feels different. It feels more vulnerable uh, mm -hmm. and more personal. Yeah. When you talk about the crafting of the songs, um, what what goes into that for you? Well, the way I write songs, it, it, every song is a little different. I already mentioned the way that I wrote one of the songs. Another example would be usually I just come up with, with a guitar part and a melody, and then I have to think of the words. Mm -hmm. Writing music is very easy for me. You know, I can write music all day long, but knowing what to say is a totally different thing. And I take my lyrics very seriously. And so there was just a lot of time spent thinking. And just once I wrote the opening track, I really felt like I was on to a greater theme that I could work under. And I always like to try to find a theme that I work through when I'm crafting an album, because that helps me to write all of the other songs um, that I didn't know were even out there. Yeah. So, um, Maybe let's dive into to prodigal and and some of those themes that you were working on. I mean, when I say deeply Mississippi, there's just so much imagery of rural Mississippi and family and um, religion, you know, like evangelical church. Um, so what are what were some of the themes that emerged for you in in writing this that first title track? Well, a lot of that imagery and stuff is really specifically from the way I was raised. I mean, I grew up in a very rural part of Cowan County uh, mm -hmm. down here, just south of Oxford. And so a lot of the imagery to me is just a vehicle. 
And it's also knowing, um, you know, where I'm from writing, people say to write where you, what you know, and where Mm -hmm. you're from. And so that's the way I really approach this album. Um, But the song Prodigal, the opening track came about actually after uh, my childhood best friend passed away in 2020 Mm. uh, in the the middle of COVID. And I had not spoken to him in um, at least 10 years. Oh, gosh. And before then, we really weren't so much friends anymore. We had sort of fallen away, you know, kind of how you fall away from some friends after high school. It was kind of like that. But we were so close when we were young. And I attended his funeral uh, back in, uh, I think it was June or July of 2020. And just seeing some of his family that I knew and other people that I knew from my past really affected me deeply. And so I started to look back at my past and I basically looked at how I was when I was a kid, when I, when I knew him, uh, we were teenagers, we learned to play guitars together and we learned Mm. to play, play drums and all those things in church. And that's pretty much all we did. Um, and so I really, I think I was mourning that connection with that person who was gone, who I was already estranged from. And at, through looking back at the past, I started to see, you know, that metaphor of the prodigal son, yeah. you know, which is so deep in Christianity and so deep in the Bible, the idea of a son who goes away and then what happens when they come back. And uh, that's when I came up with the line, the prodigal who never left at all. Uh, it just sort of came to me. And then I knew I was off for the record. I, I absolutely love that line because it's kind of startling like it's like the the prodigal who never left at all like you've I mean what I was reading into it is you know someone who may never have who still calls the place geographically maybe where they were raised home Mm -hmm. but in terms of like ideas or belief systems it can really feel like there's been a, a a large departure and Am that's exactly, I okay? That's exactly what it is for me. Yeah, I feel like I had left a lot of the ideas and 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 things I was raised around when I was a kid behind a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But my body was still here. I have never I've toured a lot and been to almost every state in this and multiple countries. You know, playing music. Um, but I have never once uh, ever lived anywhere but Mississippi. So yeah, you know, I sort of am the prodigal who never left at all so well in oxford i'm sure is is very different in many ways too from from calhoun county i mean parts of mississippi are are just culturally so vastly different right yeah yeah oxford's and and oxford's changed a lot in my lifetime too you know when i was a kid oxford was, was was much smaller than it is now and and there's just so much uh so much more happening uh, than there was. I mean, there's always been things happening in Oxford, but now there's just more people. It's it's really a vibrant place, and I and I really feel like I belong here, um, and I still feel like I belong somewhat in the place that I was raised. But it really it's just so rural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, when I was a kid, some of my best friends were trees and, <laughs> and and birds and things like that. You know, I was I was raised with two sisters and I was the only boy and they were kind of off doing their thing. And so I spent a lot of time alone out in nature. And so nature is something that really um, mm. affects me and something that I really connect to when it comes to my idea of place and home. 
Well, that almost sounds a little bit, um, it sounds spiritual, almost a little bit verging on pagan. In, I guess in some maybe ways. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, speaking, speaking of, of prodigal and, and homecoming, there's a quote um, inside your record from Franz Kafka, the longer one hesitates before the door, the more estranged one becomes. And I just, it was so, um, such a cool experience to open this record and see a, a Franz Kafka quote that felt so connected to this, this work and, you know, Mississippi and Austria, Prague, wherever he was writing from thousands of miles apart, decades apart, but still you yeah. connected with this idea. Can you talk about what that, that quote means to you? To me, when I read that quote, it really summed up what I had made on the record. But I would also like to say, I didn't even find that story or that quote until after I had made the album. Oh, gosh. And that's something I like to do. You know, the idea of the prodigal and the prodigal story, that story is very old. So there's a lot of material out there about it. So I didn't really want to look at anything when I was creating this. I mm -hmm. waited until after I had created it. And then I wanted to see who else has written about the prodigal son or through that metaphor or use the lens in any sort of way, you know, in their work. And I found this story called homecoming written by Franz Kafka, uh, which is sort of an obscure short little story that he wrote um, in a collection. And the whole idea that he had was to write the idea of the prodigal son in reverse. Hmm. Um, whereas if he wasn't, met when he comes home you know if he comes home uh and everything is exactly the same and that's sort of what it is and, and i find that to be uh, very compelling it was very compelling and it really resonates a lot with what i had dealt with on the album it really struck me hi i'm lauren rhodes you are listening to the podcast version of the mississippi arts hour the Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes, Grants Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm back talking with singer-songwriter Andrew Bryant, whose album Prodigal was released this month. So, Andrew, one really unique thing about this album, the making of this, this record, is that you were the subject of a documentary. Can you tell us about the documentary and how that came about? Yeah. Uh, this guy I had met in Little Rock uh, had reached out to me, I guess, in 2020 or 2021 about trying to make a short documentary about me as a musician. Uh, and he was uh, someone who had gotten sober. And I think he was interested from that angle. You know, he wanted to talk to musicians who had gotten sober and see him see what it was like. And so he just booked a day to come down to Mississippi and, and, and come into my studio and interview me. And so we did that. 
and then he we went around and he shot a little bit of footage around town and things like that and then i thought that was going to be it and then i told him i was like you know i'm going to be in the studio uh next week if you would like to you're more than welcome to come by to shoot some extra you know b-roll stuff there well he shows up shoots basically the entire session uh and then we had the next session we went in a couple months later he came back to that one and he just kept coming around you know mm -hmm. it sort of just became part of the project um not really even intentionally um and then towards the end of the making of the album you know he calls me one day and it's like hey i think i've finished this thing uh i want really want you to watch it but i want to drive to mississippi and watch it with you and he drove from little rock all the way to here and put it on my tv and we sat and watched it and it's in about an hour uh full length making of documentary making a prodigal um and which he titled present tense and the making of prodigal i mean it's such an incredible record of like a i'm record as in like a history of how right. an album and what's a very, you know, unique and special album is made. Um, what was your, you know, what was your reaction like viewing that for the first time? Um, at first, it was a little bit nerve wracking. You know, uh -huh. it's always it's always strange uh, to have cameras in your face. Um, but he was the immaculate professional. I mean, to the point that I didn't even really know he was there half the time. Hmm. You know, it was just a single guy with a camera. And he was very courteous and very conscientious to not uh, get in my way or any of the other musicians way. You know, he, he was just, like I say, he was just there and he was, he was very good at being, in being personable and, and being, he honestly just became part of one of the band or part of one of the, the people involved in the project, you know, just, just by his way of being. So that really took the pressure off and, you know, it was really, more seeing the end product when I was like oh wow you know um I think there's a scene in it where I'm recording uh one of the hardest songs that I had to perform on the album which is the one where it's just me and a guitar mm. and for whatever reason in the studio that's always the hardest song for me to to lay down and he caught the entire thing on film but it really wasn't I think in the film you see me struggling to get the song right but I don't even remember him being there hmm. I was just focusing on trying to play the song what I perceived as correctly uh, in the film we get into whether or not I'm a perfectionist uh, here or there like when people see it they're going to kind of get a better idea of what it's like to uh, be a musician and to be yeah. a, a person who wrote something and you have a vision of how you want it to be heard for the rest of time. Yeah. That's the way I think of it. When I'm recording it, I know that the way that it goes onto this tape or onto this digital device is the way people are going to listen to it for the, as long as it exists. And so I try to get it right every time that I do it. And uh, that's all in there. And that was really interesting to see after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm still processing that you know uh like what it means for me as an artist so. well actually that is a point in the documentary that really I was actually I literally have it written down in front of me that line do you think I'm a perfectionist that really yeah. it it resonated for me watching it because you know I any person who's creative or considers themselves a maker or an artist I think struggles against perfectionism 
um, right. or like that, that idea that you have in your head, oftentimes the reality is never going to live up to that transcendent idea that, that you have right. in your head. And um, I think it was very, for me, it was very moving. You, you know, you said you actually don't consider yourself a perfectionist. Um, is that something that has evolved for you? Have you ever, have you had to like overcome that perfectionist impulse? I think the film helped me see my, when I go too far mm -hmm. down caring about something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think I, I have perfectionist, to, you know, I, I definitely have the tendency to try to be a perfectionist in my work, but I've always known my limitations also. And that's why I say in the film, I don't think I am a perfectionist because mm -hmm. I know what my limits are. Right. Like I, I know what I'm not able to do on the guitar and I know what I'm not able to do with my voice. Therefore, I don't even attempt it. But I do know what my top threshold is and I want it to be at 100. Right. Uh, even if it's not as good as a lot of other musicians or a lot of other singers, I know what I am capable of and I want to do my best um you know whatever i'm doing so well that that makes a lot of sense as me to me and it it's something that um you know it shows how how well you know yourself as an artist and that you know how much of a professional it, you have to be in order to find that level of acceptance i think and also you know push those limits um well another thing i i thought was so fascinating about the documentary was you know, I'm always just endlessly fascinated by creative processes and the what goes into the behind the scenes of making something, whether it's a painting or a book or in this case, um, an album. And there are those moments of like, you know, higher transcendent creativity. And then there are these like really tedious moments, too. Um, and there's one scene in the documentary where the guitarist and I, I forget what his name is. You guys Will are like, Sexton. yes, Will Sexton, you're working out a lick or like, can you talk about that moment? Because it was so fascinating to watch this collaborative process to, to achieve something together. Yeah. I mean, that's such a common thing that happens in the studio. I think me, if I were making the film, I wouldn't have even thought to include something like that hmm. because I, I think it's interesting that you you're perceiving it in that way as well um to me that's something that just happens all the time in a recording yeah. studio where you are trying to fill this little void or space that you have in a song with something something creative you gotta you gotta get in there yeah will is just and he he we had heard this space and this song where we like, it needs something more, but we, I don't know. I didn't know what it was. I was like, I don't, I'm out of ideas. And so he's using this pedal, which will take guitar, uh, you know, melodies and will reverse them. And he was playing to the reversing of the signal. And it just oh, okay. created this really um, reverby ethereal sound that really on the final mix of the record, if you didn't have a trained ear, you would never be able to notice that it's even in the song. But I didn't there. notice until I went back and listened to it. And right. I was like, it's oh, there. yeah. But it, it just, it's, and maybe that's another level of perfectionism that comes from, from me and the other guys that I was working with. 
but we know when the song needs that just little bit of something mm-hmm. to fill in that space to make sure that the listener stays engaged. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting part of that film as well, because it really shows that it's just the sort of technical hodgepodge of throwing something at the wall and seeing what happens. Well, and it's just so interesting to see something come together as part of a, a group collaborative process, um, right. because so often we think of the artist and, you know, the solitary work and the independent work, which, you know, it sounds like you did a lot of that. And then you have this like intensely collaborative, this moment as well. So, um, well, that's something that's different about this album from my hmm. others in general. Most of my other albums, I, often play most of the instruments. Uh, I even have a couple albums where I played all of the instruments. On oh, wow. Song. Okay. Um, so this album is special and that I did collaborate with a band of musicians, all professional studio musicians in Memphis who helped make the record. And so it's the most collaborative record I've ever been a part of. How did you decide that you wanted to record this album differently in, in that way? Well, I had demoed the entire album after I had written it in my home studio here. And so I had the whole album front to back made into demos and basically recorded. I mm-hmm. had played, when I say demos, I had played drums and bass and banjo and guitar and electric guitar and piano. And I had even put computerized strings on it and everything. Because when I make an album, I can hear the entire orchestra. Mm. I mean, I can hear everything that is capable to go into this record. And after I had the demos made, I immediately knew I don't have, I don't have enough to make this album what it can be. Yeah. And therefore that's when I reached out to the producer, Bruce Watson and said, can you help me make this album? What uh, I know it can be. And after he heard the songs, he said, Oh, I see what you're trying to do. Yes, I can help you do that. And so that's where the collaborative process came in. And this may be a a very basic question. I apologize. But um, do you have all of those parts written out for each instrument ahead of time? Or was that something that evolved in the studio too? Basically. I mean, I basically had them written out, but I gave Mm -hmm. them freedom to play it in their own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's something I wanted to. I wanted all the musicians to be invested in the album. So I didn't want them to just come in and play it exactly the way I'd played it. But they heard that, they heard the demos beforehand and said, okay, we're going to play it together in our own way. Um, But there are certain parts and like the strings uh, arrangements on the last song I had written in my head uh, and just basically explained them to the string players when they were there and and even stood at the the console window and directed them with my Mm. hands of when to go up and when to go down like a string conductor. You know, I really... So there are certain moments where I was more in control, but overall, most of the record is is a lot of freedom with the musicians. And the musicians that I had on the record are some of the best. And they're just really great musicians. And uh, that's what happens when you get great musicians. <laughs> um, was that process over over the course of a couple days or weeks? Or how, how long were you actually in the studio with them recording that? We were... 
recorded most of the album in about three days. Wow. Only about three days. Now we came back to do all of the horns and the strings that are on the album and a good, some of the piano, a good bit of the piano was added later, about two months later. So I mm. would say in total, only about six days, five to six days of recording. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio, or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app, or download the MPB Public Media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with Oxford-based singer-songwriter Andrew Bryant. So before the break, Andrew, we were um, talking about your song, uh, Gravy, which features your experience hunting with your father um, and the documentary that you're part of, Present Tense. And I think what's what was so powerful, too, about that, that documentary is that we see you in some of the places of your childhood, um, the geography, the landscape. Uh, I think you even visit the sawmill where you worked with mm-hmm. your father growing up. Yeah. Um, what was it like to visit those places? Are they, you know, are those, do you, do you go back home to Calhoun County a lot or was this, did this, do these visits feel special? Well, going back to the sawmill didn't feel, uh, any particularly special because I go there a lot. My father works there still and uh, him and my mother uh, live right next door to there. My grandmother still lives there right next door. So for holidays and stuff, I'm always around there, but we did go back to a place called Shiloh. uh, That's not really on the map. It's just outside of big Creek, Mississippi that felt a little bit special because it was um, where my grandparents live. and there's a song mm. on my album called Shiloh in which I write about my mamaw when we called her mamaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so I went to uh, visit uh, their house, which uh, no one was living in anymore. You know, it's just sat empty for, for however many years and it's sort of starting to fall in on itself. And um, uh, one of the lines that I had written for that song is, uh, oh, Shiloh, when will this temple fall? Mm. Um, which I sort of borrowed from another songwriter uh, named Jason Molina. He also wrote a song called Shiloh, uh, which was very inspirational for me, but also I wanted to pay homage to it without stealing from it. So I did did my best to do that. Um, But, you know, in general, going back home feels, feels good, you know, just like going back any place. But then there are those places that I go to where I have those memories that are not so good. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I think that's just how it is when you go back to the place that you were raised in. Everything from your past comes back up to you, you know, from inside because it never left in the first place. Yeah, you you talked in in the, the documentary about the feeling that you were writing about the past and then, you know, 
you realize by the end, I, I can't remember how you phrase it, but you're still very much dealing with the past, but in present tense, I guess is the name of, right. of the film. It really reminded me of that Faulkner quote that Mississippians love to say mm -hmm. all the time, you know, the past is never dead. It's not even past. Right. Um, how did your thinking about the past and what it, you know, its role in your life, how did that evolve over the making of the album? Yeah, I mean, well, making the album, it really was all about looking at my past. The album started, uh, I, I said I started writing with that one song, but as it started to become a full album, I started to look at all of my past, basically from my first memories up until maybe 13 years old. I would say that that is what the bulk of the album hmm. is about, maybe 17 years old, something like that. Um, I mean, it evolved you can see this in the film it evolved as i even watched the film when i saw myself say that and the way that he edited it together i was like whoa i didn't even realize we are always carrying our past with us yeah no matter what it never leaves us what has happened in the past is who you are yeah. uh, and now i'm just much more conscious of that in my everyday life and, and i think that the record um, I, I'm starting to to try to think of a way to describe it. And the best thing that I have come up with is a conceptual memoir mm. uh, is my best way to describe what the album actually is. Because, I mean, most of the, I would say 99% of what is in the album happened and is real and is based on real places. Well, and I, I think, you know, it's so filled with sensory details too like you know you mentioned your mamma and there's a line about the kerosene lamp and I feel like mm -hmm. you know we can almost smell the the kerosene and yeah. um, mention like tomato plants and there's all of these like right. really rich sensory deals uh, details that put you at a very specific place in a very specific time which that's that's memoir you know yeah I mean that song Shiloh where I mentioned that that was actually the last song that I wrote for the album. I need, I had oh. nine songs and I was like, I need one more song. And I, I just could not think of like what it is I need to say. And I was looking through some old photos and I found this old photo from, uh, I think it was around the year 97 because there was an ice storm in 97 mm. and we had gone to stay at my mama's house for Christmas. And my mom had snapped a photo and I am laying on the couch just waking up on Christmas morning and I have my head in my hand sort of half awake and in the background my mama is lighting a kerosene lantern because the power was out and so that song came from me looking at that photo and I basically just describe what is in the photo wow and then I say how I feel about it mm-hmm um, that's really a, a powerful, powerful image. Um, your family, you know, it plays a, a large role in these, in these songs. Um, mm -hmm. I think I heard you, or I, I read about the song tongues, which, yes. uh, you wrote from your mother's perspective. That's uh, right. did I you did go? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I did want to give some other perspective to it. Um, because I also know that you know, everything that happens in your past is, is, is from your perspective, but other people had things going on around you as well. 
and that was a song where I had written all of the music and I had the drums and, and I had all these ideas and I had recorded all of it. I could not, it was another kind of a moment in the middle where I was like, well, what am I going to write now? And my wife actually suggested to me, maybe you should write about your mother speaking in tongues. Cause we grew up in, in, in sort of in a Pentecostal type evangelical church where they would, mm -hmm. you know, get real excited and speak in tongues and things like that. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And when I approached that, I was like, well, I want to sing it from her voice. I want to try to understand why she was doing and thinking and feeling the things that she was going through at the time uh, and why she was seeking out that medium of, of worship or prayer or expression, you know, whatever it was she was going for. So do you feel like it helped you to to understand her in a new way. Absolutely. And I think it was after that, that I wrote the line in gravy, the last lines in gravy, which you would have just heard where I say, uh, my mother is alone at, at the stove, you know, making gravy. And then we thank the father for the food on our plate. Like we have nothing more to say to me. Mm -hmm. I was trying to give a nod to all the women who raised me, who were actually, doing the work of cooking the food and preparing the gravy and all of these other things. Well, and, and not just that, but you know, there's the image of your mother taking out the, the dove's heart. Is that something she, after you went hunting, is that something she would have done? Uh-oh. Andrew? Uh oh. Okay, I'm gonna pause. And so I really just wanted to give homage to all the women who raised me, who were the ones actually uh, making the gravy and doing the cooking and all of those things, and you know, trying to push back against that patriarchy a little bit. Well, and not even just you know your your mother cooking for you, but there's a line that she takes the heart out of the dove. Right. And would she actually have, was she preparing like the, the animals that had been hunted? Was she, you know, she knew how to do all of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, the man would often uh, take, you know, if you killed a deer or something, the man would be the one who would skin the deer. Or if you killed a dove, he would be the one who plucked the dove or whatever, and you would give it to them. Um, but she was the women I noticed were the ones who had to do the even dirtier work of, of that, uh, preparing that delicate thing and taking out all of those little inside parts, all those little parts that you can't eat and shouldn't eat and things like that. And there's just something very, um, profound about that to me. Very visceral too. Yes, yeah. Very visceral. Yeah. Um, you know, you also in these songs, even in tongues, you're, you're kind of interrogating your own religious experience. Right. Um, and brother Danny is a figure who's, you, you already, you mentioned he's, he's in a few of these songs. He comes up. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about your religious upbringing and how, how you're sort of looking at that in, in these songs in prodigal? Yeah, well, like I mentioned before, I grew up in sort of like a Pentecostal style church. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, people falling down on the floor, 
you know, during church services, it was just, it was just normal and happened every week. Uh, and I was raised with a lot of these ideas that people can, can be healed at church, you know, like if you had something wrong with you, they could pray for you and actually heal you. And, and I even saw people say that they thought that they could raise people from the dead at certain mm. times. And so I was raised in a type of church where I saw people say a lot of things that they believed, but I never saw them happen. And so that made me very distrustful of what they were telling me. And it made me reject religion altogether at a certain point mm -hmm. uh, and reject the idea of God to the point that I became an atheist when I was in my early 20s. And it's taken me, actually, I think the making a prodigal has made me a more spiritual and brought me back to a better understanding of how to have a mm. relationship with God. Uh, more than anything that I, I've ever experienced. Well, it, and that's such a powerful, um, a powerful evolution, I think. And you can really, you can really see that and hear that um, in these songs. And, you know, there's one that I'm, I think it's called certainty, you know, it's about mm -hmm. doubt and certainty. Um, and I think doubt is a part of, of faith. I mean, faith yeah. Faith has to have doubt. I mean, that's sort of the point to say that you know something is true is not to have faith. Mm -hmm. That's to say that you know that it's true, you know? Uh, and so I was always taught that doubt was a bad thing. You know, you can't doubt and you can't ask questions and you can't, you know, anything like that. And so I finally have just come to the realization that like, oh, and I've learned, you know, through reading and music and art and all these other things that like doubt is such a part of who we are and right. it's such a part of the faith experience even more importantly that that is what it means to have faith is to say i have faith despite all of these doubts that i deal with on a daily basis well we just have a little bit of of time left and you've toured all over the country as you said um and yet you're still here in mississippi while well, i'm sure people have tried to get you to move to Nashville or, or other places. What does it mean for you to be a musician who lives and works in Mississippi, the place where you're from? I don't know that it means much more than that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went from here and I was born here and I still uh, do this thing. Now it's very hard to be a musician, I think in Mississippi, because we just don't have, we don't have the resources compared to, you mentioned Nashville. Nashville is sort of the, the music city of the south if you will you know so of course if i move there i might have a lot more opportunities but for me i like to be someone who produces music from the place that i'm from because i feel like through that is how uh, i make my art my art is mississippi i and i want to keep it that way i feel like if i move somewhere else sure i would still be a mississippian at heart making music but it would separate me from my subject matter. Um, and I like to live around my subject matter. Yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope all of our listeners buy and listen to your beautiful new album, Prodigal. Thanks everyone for listening to the Misby Arts Hour. And remember to tune in each week for the Misby Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Think Radio and the Misby Arts Commission. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, 
please contribute today at mpbonline.org. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.